I first heard of B&G guitars when they released the extremely attractive Little Sister model electric guitar. And then I found out they make acoustic guitars. Today you're going to hear one of those very acoustic guitars, the B&G Coletta. Is it possible for a small bench manufacturer to make both electric guitars and acoustic guitars that sound good? Well, you're going to find that out in today's episode. Hey, TAC family, this is episode 306 of the Acoustic Tuesday Show, a show packed full of inspiration and fun designed to help you get more progress, fulfillment, and joy from your acoustic guitar journey. Throughout today's episode, I'll be keeping you in the loop with some acoustic news you can use, including a singer-songwriter that has taken the internet by storm, a resonator guitar innovation, the place where all broken guitars go, and much, much more. But first, the B&G Coletta. Coletta has been on my radar for quite some time. In fact, just a couple shows back, I mentioned it, saying this guitar has a really cool story and it's one that should be on your radar. Well, B&G just so happened to see that show and they reached out and they said, hey, Tone, would you like to try one of these guitars in person? To which I jumped at the chance because to be quite honest, I was very curious. I have been very much enamored by their little sister model electric guitar. It just looks awesome. I've checked out tons of demos and it's just, it's an awesome electric guitar. It screams the blues. It looks the blues. So when I featured the Coletta, it was more of a curiosity and I wanted to share it with you. I never thought I was going to actually get a chance to play one. Well, here it is. And we're going to be digging into the specs and my true thoughts on this guitar throughout today's episode, but let's go ahead and hear it again. Let's dig into the specs of this guitar, and I've got quite a few to share with you, so I'm going to try and remember them all. I just did a quick debriefing on their website. First and foremost, this is a private build Coletta. They make two different versions of the Coletta, a private build and a standard build. Uh, both are equally cool, but the private build seems to have a little bit more bells and whistles. So just so we're all on the same page, this is a private build Coletta. First and foremost, you're going to notice that it is a smaller body size. The lower bout is just over 14 and a half inches, and this thing has a ton of power, even though it is a smaller bodied guitar. The top is an air-dried Sitka spruce. Uh, the spruce has actually been air-dried for over 20 years. Under the hood, we have traditional X bracing. Uh, also, you'll notice uh, this is a Zeracote bridge with a tusk saddle. 
Ziracote fingerboard with diamond inlay. You'll see the serial number right here at the end of the fretboard, if I can get my beard out of the way here. Um, the top has a beautiful sunburst to it. And inside the guitar, you're gonna notice, if you look at the neck block, it has kind of a standard neck block, but on the back of the neck block, on the, uh, against the back of the guitar, there's a little bit of a tongue, and that locks in the neck angle. You know, with acoustic guitars, you have this constant pressure that pulls up. Well, this tongue on the bottom of the neck block counteracts that pressure, so it really uh, uh, mitigates that, that pressure and, and kind of, um, freeze the guitar from needing an eventual neck reset. Uh, the back and sides of this model are Pal Faro, the first acoustic guitar I've ever played with Pal Faro back and sides. Uh, the body is bound in white. Uh, the, the neck is made out of mahogany and it's a very, uh, it's a very comfortable, I'll call it a soft V shape. Um, it almost feels more round than V, but there's a subtle, pronounced uh, ridge on the back of the neck. So I'm gonna call it a soft V. Uh, 12 frets to the body. The scale length is 24 and three quarters, an inch and 11 sixteenths tusk nut, slotted headstock with the B&G logo inlaid in mother of pearl with some nice filigree down the center, and their pro slot headstock tuners. These things are gorgeous to look at. They function beautifully. They've got ivoroid buttons, which is a nice complement to that body binding. Wow, that's a lot of specs. I actually remembered most of them. I'm trying to think if there's anything that I forgot. Uh, but all in all, uh, my initial impressions of this guitar just physically is that it's extremely light. You know, Pau Ferro, I think, is pretty similar to East Indian Rosewood, and I generally associate Rosewood with a heavier guitar, but this guitar, probably due to its body size, uh, but the way it's built is, is really light as a feather. Um, so let's go ahead and hear it again, and then I'll give you my honest thoughts on how it plays and how it sounds. So my thoughts on the B&G Coletta. First and foremost, I've always considered B&G as an electric guitar manufacturer, and unfairly so. And, and just this is just based on my exposure. You know, I've seen the B&G Little Sister. I've seen people play it. I've watched the reviews. I've heard it. A great guitar. So I associate B&G with that guitar. Well, it turns out they are very adept at making a stellar acoustic guitar as well. And what I noticed first and foremost with this instrument is its punchy sound. I think that's attributed to the smaller body style and it has this wonderful clear projection that's pretty laser-like. I mean, that smaller body really kind of focuses the projection. And also what I've noticed is that this guitar, while it is a smaller body, has a rich set of overtones that does not dominate. You know, some guitars that have a rosewood back and sides or a hardwood back and sides, they really have overtones that can kind of overtake the fundamental note of the guitar. Not the case here. The fundamental note speaks nice and clear and the overtones do nothing but support that note. So. 
a really interesting observation. And again, I think those overtones are brought to you by that Palfero back and sides. I feel like that was an ad. Uh, this instrument brought to you by Palfero back and sides. Uh, anyways, uh, furthermore, this instrument has wonderful responsiveness. Um, that's a word that I think I oftentimes overuse, um, but this guitar really does embody responsiveness, meaning I don't have to play it that hard. And it's, it's pretty reactive to a light touch, which is really nice if you're playing more complicated things. Because generally speaking, the more you tighten up and try and dig in, the less complicated and almost more chunky your guitar playing sounds. Being that I can bring a light touch to this instrument, I felt like I could play more complicated things. Just an interesting observation. And I'll also mention that, you know, this guitar is really a good fit for blues and ragtime because it has this wonderful thump, especially if you palm mute the bass. Um, it, the, the thump is not muddy. The palm muting is not muddy. It has this wonderful definition and clarity to it that really does support, you know, whatever you're playing, be it a blues song or, or a ragtime song, like I mentioned. Onto the playability of the instrument. Uh, 24 and 3 quarter inch scale, it is a short scale guitar. And is, in terms of how it's set up right out of the case, wow, uh, it's one of the best playing guitars I've ever played. Um, it takes almost no effort to fret. And that's, that's really attributed to the setup. That's not necessarily inherent to this guitar, but they do a great job of setting these things up. I mean, I pulled out of the case, tuned it up, and I started playing and I was like, I felt like I could play anything. You know, again, because of the responsiveness, the general, you know, character of, of the, the set of tone woods and the way the guitar is built, paired with that really nice playability on the fretboard, complex things fell pretty easily under my fingers. Furthermore, I never favor an inch and 11 sixteenths nut width on a smaller bodied guitar. I, I shouldn't say never favor it, but if I was given the choice, I would prefer a wider nut width. However, I don't know what they did, but it is an 11 sixteenths uh, one, <laughs> one and 11 sixteenths inch nut, but the string spacing seems to be dead on in that I don't feel crammed at all. I did notice that, you know, the harder I picked, sometimes the string, the open strings would vibrate into one of my fretting fingers. That's really more a function of my playing rather than the nut width, but Again, I think the string spacing, the way that they cut the slots of the nut, um, really is quite comfortable and I feel like I have more room than I should in terms of fretting. I hope that makes sense. Uh, overall, uh, very, very impressed with the way this guitar plays, with the way this guitar sounds. And I'm so happy and really honored to have played it in person because I never thought I would have the chance to do so. Um, just really has changed my mind on a what again, what I would think of as an electric guitar manufacturer making acoustic guitars. I don't think that way about B&G anymore. I actually think that they are just killer guitar makers and their electric guitars are great and their acoustic guitars are great and they really shouldn't be lumped into the same category. The only thing that really I, I think uh, unifies them is, is the name on the headstock. Uh, nonetheless, a, a really just a great experience playing this guitar. I, I can't say enough good things about it. I've enjoyed playing it. In fact, when I got the guitar, I stayed up pretty late. Grayson is still not really sleeping through the night. So I was staying up, I was sitting at the kitchen table just noodling on this guitar. I played it for about two hours. It was almost midnight and I emailed uh, the folks at B&G and I said, wow, I've just whisked away two hours of my time because this guitar is just such a joy to play.
So in terms of pricing, again, this is a private build Coletta. So the pricing is $49.99. That includes a really stellar uh, Emeritage case and shipping. Um, well worth it in my opinion. This is very much a boutique guitar that deserves the attention of anybody interested in boutique instruments. Um, it really is right up there with other, I'm gonna say Gibson-esque small body guitars, but this really is very different than, than a Gibson. I mean, the only thing that really gives me the Gibson vibe is it is a smaller body, although I think the dimensions of the upper bout and the, and the waist are, and the upper bout, the waist, and the lower bout are a little bit different, uh, and the, that shorter scale length is, is kind of reads as Gibson, but it's a very different animal. Um, I think it's, 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 a, it's priced very well for the guitar that you get. Uh, the standard build is, uh, I think, a couple thousand less. Uh, and that has a matte finish, uh, less bells and whistles, but still the same quality. Anyways, all in all, a guitar you should definitely try out and a guitar that I've thoroughly enjoyed playing for you. So most importantly, what did you think of the B&G Coletta private build with Sitka Spruce Top and Pal Ferro back and sides? Let me know in the comments below. Let me know if this guitar was on your radar. Let me know, you know, your general thoughts. How did you think it sounded? Um, I'm just kind of curious, just kind of curious. Uh, and while you're typing in your comments, let's go ahead and dig into some acoustic news you can use. We're gonna kick things off with a singer-songwriter that has literally taken the internet by storm. Every time I see this guy's video, it has increased in views exponentially. The first time I watched the video, it was around two million views. At the date of this filming, my birthday as a matter of fact, that just entered my mind. Um, I'm filming this actually prior to my birthday, but when this airs, it will be on my birthday. The big four zero. Pretty crazy. Anyways, uh, the, the, as of the date of this filming, this video that I'm about to show you has 24 million views. And this song and this singer-songwriter has caused quite a stir among, uh, amongst the music industry. So we're gonna uh, take a look at Oliver Anthony's, uh, rather, we're gonna take a listen to Oliver Anthony's song, The Rich Men, North of Richmond. And then I wanna share a little bit of perspective on it. I think this has caused uh, quite uh, the discussion amongst the music world. So I'm gonna add my two cents uh, to that discussion. But first, let's all get on the same page and listen to this really, truly amazing song. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours, for bullshit pay so I can sit out here and waste my life away drag back home and drown my troubles away it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me people like you wish I could just wake up and it not be true but it is oh it is living in the Stellar songwriting, stellar singing, 
awesome playing, and another vote for those Gretsch resonator guitars. Really good sounding instrument, to be quite honest. But aside from the music, well, I guess stemming from the actual songwriting, the content of the song, this has caused quite a stir amongst the music industry, as I mentioned before. And he's being referred to as an overnight success. And I, to be honest, I hate that. That's not true. Oliver Anthony likely has played guitar for a while. He has likely wrote songs for a while. In fact, digging into his catalog, he has quite a few songs, all of which are amazing. So to say that he's an overnight success, I, I don't think that's true at all. And I think it actually puts, it, it puts this unrealistic ideal out there, thinking that you can go just simply write a single song, set up a microphone, record it, and get 24 million views and capture the attention of the entire music industry, really the entire world. I don't think that's true, and I don't think it's fair to say that. That is not a discredit to how awesome this song is, how great of a songwriter he is, but he's not an overnight success. He's been at this for a while. It shows in his songwriting. It's very mature songwriting. His playing is great. It's very complimentary to the song. Furthermore, there's a lot of opinions floating around about the song, its content, its lyrics, whether it's right or wrong. Can we stop being so binary and just treat it as a song? This came from a human, an individual who was feeling a certain way, who had the courage to be vulnerable and put his thoughts and feelings out there in the, in the form of a song. Let's just listen to the song. We can all take it, we can all take its meaning uh, unique to us, rather we can, <laughs> we can all have it mean something different to us. That doesn't make it right for one person, wrong for another. It's just a great song, great perspective from a human being vulnerable, sharing their words, sharing their lyrics. And I think there's this uh, eagerness to critique and eagerness to pick apart songs and I'm not saying that's bad. Like I said, we all have our own take on songs and they all mean something unique to us, different meanings for different people. That being the case, we don't necessarily have to shout from the digital mountaintop that it's right or wrong. It's just a song. It's just a song and a really beautiful thing that somebody can express their feelings, emotions, thoughts in a song and share it with the world. That takes a lot of, of courage to be quite honest. So. I don't know. I guess I just wanted to stand up on my uh, little corner of the digital mountaintop and share that perspective uh, and rather, you know, pick apart the song for its content. Let's just honor the fact that somebody was vulnerable enough to share their song with the world and it just so happened to capture the attention of, well, nearly everybody. Uh, sticking on the resonator theme, I know that was a pretty hard segue, but Oliver Anthony was playing resonator in that song. And it's funny because Matt from Mule posted a picture, uh, a screenshot of that song, and he said, I'm gonna save you an email. It's not a Mule Resonator guitar. I thought that was pretty funny, but that actually brings us to our next news story, and that is the new T-bridge that is available from Mule Resophonic Guitars. This bridge is specifically designed for tricone instruments, and it is a huge innovation, because traditionally, the T-bridge, the part that the strings go over on a tricone resonator guitar, is made out of cast aluminum. Well, Matt and uh, some folks got together and decided to actually machine the T-Bridge out of a billet of aluminum. It's a very different deal, and I can't even pretend to know all the ins and outs of it, so I'm gonna kick it over to Matt, and he's gonna share a little bit about the new Mule Billet T-Bridge. Okay, what we're talking about today is our new T-Bridges. 
these babies. Look how beautiful. Okay, so what a T-bridge is, is the part underneath the cover plate, the big round thing in the middle of our guitars. Underneath that are the cones, and there's three cones on the tricone. One, two, three. And the T-bridge is what connects all three of those cones, and inside this slot here is the saddle that the strings go over. So, uh... I'm like smiling just looking at it. It's just so beautiful. It's pretty. Yeah. So the most important changes you can make to a guitar are around the bridge. That's where the most energy from the strings is being transmitted into the guitar. So making a change to that direct area where the string is powering the guitar makes a huge difference. Traditionally, T-bridges are cast. Casting is like molten lava of aluminum poured into a, a mold and it ends up being kind of like styrofoam. So we can make better T-bridges and how we make better T-bridges is out of a machined billet of aluminum. Billet of aluminum. Billet of aluminum. A billet of aluminum is a much stronger piece of metal and it's also, the grain structure of it is more in line. What the billet compared to the casting does is it transfers that energy more efficiently. More of what you put into the guitar, you're getting out of the guitar. And that's all fine if it's nerd stuff, but what does that do to your playing? It makes you forget to try. Now you're feeling things, it's coming through your right hand and it's just happening. It's not, I gotta play harder, I gotta play something. It's just every little nuance is getting picked up by the guitar. Now go ahead and grab your guitar. It's time to see what the TAC family is working on today. Every single week within Tony's Acoustic Challenge, the TAC family rotates through the five essential skills that help you learn songs fast. Mondays is a technique challenge, Tuesdays a guitar lick challenge, Wednesdays an improvisation challenge, Thursdays a rhythm guitar challenge, and Fridays a chord transition challenge. Yes, indeed, today is Tuesday. They are working on a guitar lick, and here it is. Your Tuesday Tack Guitar Lick Challenge is in open D tuning today. It's a great blues lick in the key of D, and it's named Buttered Popcorn because I can't think of anything better than sitting down and watching a movie and having a huge bowl of buttered popcorn. And this lick is like a huge bowl of buttered popcorn. It's that good. Uh, let me go ahead and play it for you. And then what I want to do is show you how to use this lick to completely play a 12-bar blues. Wholly, solely, wholly and solely based on this lick. Okay, here's how the lick sounds. It's pretty fun. Now, remember, you have to be in open D tuning for this lick, and that is drop your low E string to a D, your A string stays the same, D string stays the same, G string drops to an F sharp, your B string drops to an A, your high E string drops to a D. Okay, that's where this lick will work. So if you tried to play this in standard tuning, it's probably gonna sound a little bit goofy. Now, TAC fam, if you wanna learn this note for note, this is your daily challenge. Just log in, click Start Challenge. That'll take you directly to the teaching video. Once you're done with that, move to the play along video, adjust it to a speed that's comfortable for you, and don't forget to open up that tab in a separate window by clicking on that tab icon in the lower right-hand corner. Okay, so as I mentioned, 
This lick is a wonderful one uh, for two reasons. Uh, it sounds cool. I think that's the first reason. The second reason is you can take this lick and move it. It's completely closed. It's a closed position lick, meaning there are no open strings here, right? I'm just playing half of it, but there's no open strings. That being the case, you can move it wherever you want. Pretty cool. I mean, you can literally move it wherever you want. And the note that you land on will tell you what chord it works over. So up here, I'm landing on a D note. This will work over a D chord. Well, the cool thing about open D tuning is that on the fifth fret, you have your four chord or the G chord. And on your seventh fret, you have your five chord, in this case, the A chord. So you have all the ingredients to play a 12 bar blues. And if I play the lick here, spanning the third and fifth fret, the note I land on is a G. That means it works over a G chord. And if I play that same lip, lick, lip, play that same lick spanning the fifth and the seventh, uh, fifth and the seventh fret, I'm landing on an A note. Works over an A chord. So you can effectively play an entire 12 bar blues. Now this is a two measure lick. So you'd play the lick two times over a D chord, one time over a uh, G chord, one time over the next D chord, uh, half the lick over the A chord, half the lick over the G chord, and then one time through on that final D chord. Um, let me go ahead and play it. I think it'll make a lot more sense when I play it. Okay, here's how it sounds in a 12 bar blues format. I'll play it slow, so if you wanna play along with me, feel free to go ahead. There it is, 12 bar blues based on one lick. You learn something once, you move it around. It's a great way to experiment. And speaking of experimentation, there's this myth, there's this common misconception that you have to know what you're doing to experiment. Now let's think about that statement for a second. You have to know what you're doing to experiment. That's like a cart before the horse kind of a situation, right? You experiment so that you start to know what you're doing, right? I hear this from, from uh, players that are first starting on the guitar, players that maybe are a little intimidated by, by some concepts on the guitar, maybe, maybe alternate tunings is one for you. And they say, oh, I, 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 gotta, I gotta get a little bit better before I try that. It's, that's reversed. 
you have to try that in order to get a little bit better. And I'm not saying some of this stuff is not intimidating because it very well can be because you've never done it before. But if you push yourself outside that comfort zone, outside your comfort zone, if you push yourself to experiment and try something new, that is what gets you better. That is what helps you achieve that progress. So remember, it's never the wrong time to experiment. By experimenting, by trying new things, that's what actually allows you to get better. So here's me giving you full permission to experiment away. Sound crummy. Try things that are totally off the wall. It's okay to, to make weird sounds. We're all learning this thing, and the best way to learn is by doing. So go forth and do and experiment and try. Diving right into your second dose of acoustic news you can use, we're gonna kick things over to Fairbanks Guitars. Not necessarily kick things over, uh, more so look and see what they're up to. You know, I'm filming this before I leave for the Fretboard Summit. Uh, the Fretboard Summit is this gathering in Chicago of amazing luthiers, amazing performers, amazing players doing workshops, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm really excited to go. And again, when this episode airs, it will be after the Fretboard Summit. So I'll have a full report of the Fretboard Summit in a future episode of Acoustic Tuesday. But uh, one of the guitars that's heading to Fretboard Summit is made by Fairbanks Guitars, Dale Fairbanks. And he made a reproduction of a 1930s Gibson that was a one-off guitar. Uh, Perloid fretboard, really cool uh, pickguard, unique body shape, and I am so excited to try this guitar. I'm so excited to see this guitar in person. You're seeing some pictures of it right now, and I'm not necessarily sure that this is, uh, no, it is newsworthy. I was gonna say it's not newsworthy, but you know, Occasionally, when I'm checking out guitars, one catches my attention and it sticks out as something that I would love to try, something that I think the builder put a lot of time and effort into. And this is one of those guitars. So I wanted to share it with you just so you could see it and, and conceptualize it. And hopefully in a future episode, I'll maybe get some video of me playing this guitar at the summit uh, because I'm really excited to see the craftsmanship of it, but also just to hear how it sounds. Uh, moving right along to our next news story. This next one comes from Gibson. You know, I've referenced the Gibson TV series, The Collection, uh, where Mark Agnesi interviews a singer-songwriter uh, or a performer with their really usually insane guitar collection. Well, they have another series called The Scene, where they visit uh, musically important locations. Well, the most recent episode features Sam Ash music in New York City. And I know when I was growing up, when I was first getting into guitar, Sam Ash was like the store I heard of. It was, it was the store. And it turns out it's the store for a very important reason. In fact, it's kind of uh, historically one of the most important music retailers in the business. And Mark Agnesi digs in deep. He goes to Sam Ash Music in Manhattan and uh, interviews and checks out the store. It's very, he doesn't interview the store. He interviews the folks at the store and checks out the store, digs into some history and really kind of sheds some light on how important Sam Ash is to the entire music industry. Here's a little clip from that show, TV series. Here's a little clip from that video. 98 years ago, this got started in your family. Tell me a little bit about the history of Sam Ash music. My grandfather was a decent violinist, but a great personality. So he had the Sam Ash Society Club Orchestra, and they would play all the various parties in, in Brooklyn. Then this thing called the Depression hit, and suddenly uh, people aren't having parties anymore. So my grandmother wanted 
a family and a steady income. So the true, the real story was she did pawn her ring, and they opened the first store on Saratoga Avenue in Brooklyn. It's, it's a parking lot now. They started the business. Uh, my father came in. Uh, my uncle came in. They started before the war, and they both were in World War II. My father was in the Battle of the Bulge. Really? Uh, yeah. If you ever saw the movie, it was. Pretty intense. Yeah. So the two of them had this kernel of something bigger. Records were were coming out of phase. Radios were coming in, and we weren't in the radio business. So they started to do more and more musical instruments. Guitar at that time was not a popular no. thing yet. So we were there really, really early. If you wanted the Defender, you went to Manny's. If you wanted a Gibson, you either went to Eddie Bell or Sam Ash Music. We were fortunate to be with Gibson at the right time and just grew with them over the years. And even within departments, we have departments. You know, bluegrass, classic, and of course, our lovely Gibsons, which I'm sorry to say we sell more than we get. Still got that Elvis Dove though. Man, that's a nice guitar. God, I love those. Looks good yeah. in black. Uh, and I'm so happy that you guys are increasing production on acoustics because it's needed. You're yeah. making a great guitar, and now you're gonna make it for everybody. Yeah. And finally, have you ever asked yourself the question, how many guitars are actually made in a day? How many guitars exist in the world? Because I think the number is probably staggering. I, I won't even claim to know, but I can guarantee you I would take a guess and it would be way less than the actual amount of guitars in existence. Now, all these guitars, they can't live forever. Some of them break, some of them, you know, uh, get traded, they get donated. It's guitars everywhere, right? Of various forms, of various levels, of various states of disrepair. Well, have you ever wondered where all the broken guitars go? Well, Reverb also wondered where all the broken guitars go, and they just so happen to find out where and they check it out in this video. I think it's huge when you look at the amount of instruments that we're saving every year from going into a landfill, and you can ask anyone in the building. I don't like to see anything go into our dumpster, so we are going to do everything we can possibly do to make sure that we use every piece of everything that we can, down to the boxes that the instruments come in. We'll reuse those boxes so that we don't have to either throw away or recycle any more cardboard than we absolutely have to. The instruments themselves, when they don't get all the way through our refurbishment process, end up in what we refer to as garbage. That doesn't mean it's garbage at that point. That means that's our holding spot that we have where we'll take these instruments and we'll kind of harvest all the parts off of them that we can get and we'll use those to repair other instruments or we'll make them available online for people that are doing their own repairs. Once we get past that point with it, then we have yet another option. We may make a set of bookends out of what's left. We may make a wine holder out of it. I've had some very angry emails from some people going, why are you destroying all of these instruments? And when I explained to them, no, 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 this is the final pl resting place of this so that it does not go to a landfill. And then they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Where can I buy this? Well, you can buy them on Reverb. 
I think there's just this symbiotic relationship between Reverb and MIRC, and I think it helps a whole lot of different people. It helps retailers, it helps end users, it certainly helps us. It's, it's a big vehicle for how our instruments get out into the world. We get a lot of different instruments that don't exist anyplace else here in the United States because we get returns from some manufacturers from around the world. So we get a lot of different cool things that, that you don't normally get to see. And I think, you know, whether it's Franklin Guitar Works or one of our other retailers that we deal with, I think you should just go like check out the things that we have because there's some really cool stuff to be seen. And on those recycled guitar notes, I think it's a great time to wrap up the Acoustic Tuesday show for today. But first, let's take a sneak peek into next week. And next week, mark your calendars because it is String Change Day. Yes, next week on the Acoustic Tuesday show, I'm going to be teaching you how to change your strings. Something that a lot of guitar players avoid like the plague, but you shouldn't. It's actually pretty easy, and I'm going to walk you through it step by step. That's happening next week on the Acoustic Tuesday show. Remember, you can catch Acoustic Tuesday every single Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Before I let you go, please do remember this. Your guitar success, however you define it for yourself, is directly related to your guitar routine. So please invest the time in developing your guitar routine and make sure to have fun every single day that you play. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing your valuable time with me, and I'll see you next Tuesday on the Acoustic Tuesday Show. Cheers to you, be nice, and play guitar.